Today, we are continuing with the poems of the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. I will recite a poem called Kal Noon Fi Surat Al-Rahman. Now in the anthology, the title is Like the Letter N in the Quran, but the literal translation uh, would be Like the Letter N in Surah or Chapter of the Quran Al-Rahman, which is the name of the chapter. And I think that this was just done because for a non-Islamic uh, uh, readership, they would not know what a surah, a chapter, is. And so the title would just make it clearer. Um, I will start off with the poem first, and then I will uh, go into an explanation. East of the springs, in a forest of olives, my grandfather embraced his forsaken shadow. No mythical grass sprouted on his shadow, no lilac cloud reigned upon that land. In his shattered dream, the earth is a robe woven by the sumac needle. My grandfather awakened to gather herbs from his vineyard that was buried under the black road. He taught me the Quran in the basil garden, east of the well. We descended from Adam and Eve, who were in the paradise of oblivion. O grandfather, I am the last of the living in this desert. So let us return. No one guards my grandfather's name, bordered by a sea and a desert, and both deny my grandfather and his sons, hovering now around the letter N in Surat al-Rahman of the Quran. O God, be my witness. As he was born of himself and buried within himself close to hell, let him bestow upon the phoenix a little of his secret's fire, so she may kindle the lights in a temple after him. East of the springs, in a forest of olives, my grandfather embraced his forsaken shadow. No sun rises on his shadow, no shadow sets upon him. My grandfather is forever beyond. In the previous episode I briefly mentioned Darwish's Islamic heritage, in that he was born into a Muslim family, and how he gave a nod to his fellow Christians in his poem The Everlasting Indian Fig or in Arabic, Abd al-Sabbar. In this poem, the influence of his Islamic faith, especially from his childhood, is very evident. For those who may not know, the Quran is the holy scripture of the Islamic faith, believed to be the word of God, divine revelation imparted to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, over the span of 23 years, from 610 to 632 of the Common Era. Before I go on any further, I want to make one thing very clear. I am not a scholar of the Islamic faith. I have read parts of the Quran previously, but as my Arabic is mostly the modern dialect, I do not always understand completely. So what I say next is my simple understanding and the interpretations and translations I have come across during my research. The very first verses of the Quran to be revealed to the Prophet Muhammad began with a command. He was said to have been meditating in a cave within a mountain just outside of Mecca in Arabia. The archangel Gabriel came to him and gave a command saying, Iqra' Recite. The Prophet Muhammad at first replied, I cannot recite, for he was illiterate. The archangel grabbed hold of him tightly, and then came the first verses. Recite in the name of your Lord that has created, created humans, from a hanging clot. Recite, and your Lord is most generous, who taught by the pen, taught humanity 
what they knew not. Shocked and perplexed by the experience, the Prophet Muhammad fled from the cave and back to his home, where he threw himself onto some blankets in fear. His wife Khadija consoled him and was the first to accept his prophethood. From that fateful night, the destiny of the Arab people, then scattered tribes in the desert, would be altered forever, and the rest of the world with them. Today, this mountain is now named Jabal al-Nur, or the Mountain of Light. It is from this first verse that the Quran takes its literal meaning, the recitation. Being taught to recite the verses of the Quran by heart is a common experience shared by many who grew up in Muslim families, including Darwish. In Islam, a person who memorizes the Quran in its entirety is given the pious yet honorable title of Hafiz, one who remembers or preserves. Generally speaking, Darwish does not come across as particularly religious in his poems. He talks about wine, about ancient goddesses, about kissing women. In one of his poems, he describes the divinity that can be seen in the eyes of a woman he loved. To a particularly religious Muslim, these subjects would not be appropriate, especially with comparing anything to divinity or God. The monotheistic aspect within Islam is especially strict, with constant warnings about the dangers of what is called shirk, from the Arabic word to share, in sharing the reverence one has for God with anything else. In 2014, at the Riyadh International Book Fair in Saudi Arabia, a range of books by Darwish were removed by the security committee as they were deemed to have blasphemous passages, following protests by conservative activists. This book fair, which is meant to promote culture and commerce in the Arabic-speaking world, proved to be a minefield. The publishers of the books refused to comment on the incident, explaining that if you antagonize the authorities, you will be banned from selling books in the country. Darwish's words do not come without any controversy. During his life, Darwish was critical of radical political Islamism. In 2005, the Hamas-led municipality in the city of Qalqilia banned outdoor music and dance performances for religious reasons. Darwish warned that there are Taliban-type elements in our society, and this is a very dangerous sign. As a poet, and with an appreciation of the arts, Darwish was worried about the stricter interpretations of his faith being used to stifle this part of culture and restrict the liberties of individuals. Islam, as with many other faiths, has its varying interpretations and schools of thought, ranging from the mystical and progressive down to the orthodox and the dogmatic. But on the other hand, his poetic nature and we have seen the respect he holds for the poets of pre-Islamic and post-Islamic Arabia, means that he can easily appreciate the Quran, for it is in itself a work of poetry. The verses within, when recited, can have a certain rhythm and often rhyme. It also utilizes other poetic devices, such as refrains, much in the same way a song might have in a chorus. This brings us on to the main subject matter. Darwish mentions a surah, loosely meaning a chapter, in the Quran, when he says, "Al-Bahr wal-Sahra uhaula ismihi al-Aari min al-Hurras, lam yarfa jaddi wala abnaahu al-Waqifin al-Aan haula al-Noon fi Surat al-Rahman. Allahumma fala tashhad." No one guards my grandfather's name, bordered by a sea and a desert, and both deny my grandfather and his sons, hovering now around the letter N. 
and Surah Al-Rahman of the Quran. O God, be my witness. Surah Al-Rahman, or the chapter of Al-Rahman of the Quran, is the 55th chapter, and its title is taken from one of the 99 names or attributes of God, meaning the most merciful or beneficent. This chapter can be generally split into three parts. Firstly, it describes the natural beauty and bounties of the world that God has created, from the sun and moon that have their own orbits, to the fruit-bearing trees, to the pearls and coral found in the oceans. Secondly, it warns those who stray from righteousness of the punishment in the afterlife. And finally, it describes the rewards of paradise to those who are faithful. I should make clear now that the order of the chapters in the Quran today is not the order in which they were revealed to the Prophet Muhammad at the time. Why they were ordered in such a way, I do not know exactly, but I am sure that scholars of the faith would know more about that in detail. Darwish makes a connection between the Arabic letter N, or as we say, Noon, with that particular chapter, precisely because the vast majority of the verses in this chapter end with the letter N. The other distinguishing feature of this chapter is that it uses a refrain that is repeated again and again in between other verses. In Arabic it is, Meaning, in which of your Lord's favours will you both deny? If you listen closely, the final letter of the final word, meaning for both or two things to deny something, ends with the letter N. It is a rhetorical question that is interspersed throughout the chapter and it is meant to invoke contemplation in the reader. But who is the question aimed at? The wording implies that it is aimed at two separate people or groups of people. In the interpretations I've come across, this question is being asked of humans and jinn, who are otherworldly beings that, like humans, live and die, and who, like humans, have free will to be good or evil. I should say that when I usually mention jinn to non-Muslim English people, their eyes light up because they think I'm talking about the drink, which a lot of them are very fond of. Um, and I end up looking a bit crazy or a bit, uh, I guess, incoherent. Um, but that's besides the point. This brings us on to another poetic device, that of the simile. Verses 14 and 15 mention humans and jinn being created by God. In Arabic it is, خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ صَلْصَالٍ وَخَلَقَ الْجَانَ مِنْ مَارِجٍ مِنْ نَارٍ Meaning, he created humankind from clay, like pottery, and he created jinn from the flame of a smokeless fire. The simile here is likening the creation of humankind to the creation of pottery. It gives the reader an image of God actively shaping his creations and moulding them. This is connected to another attribute of God in Islam, Al-Musawwir, the fashioner, the giver of forms. The other connection to Surah Al-Rahman in the poem is when Darwish mentions being taught the Quran in a basil garden by his grandfather. In Arabic, it is He taught me the Quran in the basil garden, east of the well. There are various words for this herb in Arabic. For example, Habaq, but Darwish chooses to use the word Al-Rayhan. This word, which also ends with the letter N, is used in Surah Al-Rahman in the first part, 
when the beauty of the natural world and its bounties are being described. In Arabic, it is وَالْأَرْضَ وَضَعَهَا لِلْأَنَامِ فِيهَا فَاكِهَةٌ وَالْنَخْلُ ذَاتُ الْأَكْمَامِ وَالْحَبُّ ذُو الْعَصْفِ وَالْرَيْحَانِ If you listen carefully, you would notice that the word was at the very end. This means, And the earth he placed for all beings. In it are fruit, palm trees with their date stalks, and grains with their husks, and aromatic plants. In this particular translation, the word is interpreted to be aromatic plants in general, and not basil specifically. This makes sense, as the root for al-rayhan comes from rihata, meaning an aroma or to have a smell. The mention of plants and trees by Darwish is common in his poems, as this has a close connection to the land, adding to it colour, scent and taste. Darwish mentions another such plant when describing his grandfather's dreams, saying, In his shattered dream, the earth is a robe woven by the sumac needle. Sumac, or in Arabic, summaq, originally means a deep red colour, and it is the name given to a ground spice that grows on a shrub in the form of a small, vivid red, round clusters at the ends of branches. It has a strong sour taste and was often consumed in places where lemons or more sour-tasting citrus fruits were not so common. In Palestine and around the Levant, a traditional dish known as musakhan uses sumak as the main seasoning for poultry, which is roasted and then placed on a bed of traditional taboon flatbread, laden with fried onion, pine nuts and olive oil. I've had the pleasure of tasting this dish in Palestine before and it gave me a sense of warmth that would complement the chilly winters there. If we do look at more of Darwish's poems in the future, then we will watch out for his references to the plants and trees that add character to the land he clearly loves. But for now, I want to thank you for listening and I hope you have learned something new as I have.